Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. We're back with another solo. And this solo, this time I have a guest that I've actually been wanting to have for a long time. And I first came upon this guest uh, probably maybe four or five years ago. Maybe four or five years ago, 2012, 2011. When I was working in New York at Park 51, and then the next person that came in whose name was circling around uh, was Rashid Dark. So I thought to myself, well, who's that? And someone had mentioned something that you came from New Hampshire. Is that? I came from Wisconsin. Wisconsin. That's yeah. where you're from? Yeah, no, I grew up there, yeah. That is, a, that is crazy. <laughs> so, what, so tell us about, start off like, and, and my first ex initial response was, well, who's this guy from Wisconsin? That's the first thing. <laughs> then when I saw his uh, picture, and I saw his glasses. I was like, okay, I got competition now. Right? <laughs> Are you still? You still? You don't? You didn't have those black glasses today, though. Uh, Are I you one of the no, brothers I, who I have like glasses thirty glasses? There. No, I actually, I just, I'm uh, nearsighted. Okay. So when I'm just sitting and I'm like reading, I don't need my glasses. Yeah. And so I don't wear them. Only when I'm walking around outside do I wear them. So oh, okay. It's okay. One of those things. Yeah. So, so my first, yeah. pick, my first time I saw your your photograph, you had this long hair and these these. Uh, dark rim glasses <laughs> like mine and I thought to myself all right uh, I got some competition here so tell us about growing up in Wisconsin what was that all about all right well before before anything was left yeah. um, so yeah I mean I I grew up in uh where well, I was born in Illinois near Chicago and then I the age of six my parents moved to Wisconsin southeastern Wisconsin my mom got into a graduate program there mm. and uh the house prices were much cheaper, but taxes much lower in Wisconsin. And we're just about an hour. We're like a smack dab between Milwaukee and Chicago, basically. Oh, so yeah. you're actually like a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, in fact, like, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the metro train, actually, oh, the okay. last stop is our, is where I live. Oh, okay. So that's not... Where my parents live. Right that's now. not terribly bad, because you got, for example, when I went to Indiana, uh, Valparaiso one time, mm. the brothers, uh, some brothers invited me there, and I'm like, well, we're in the boondocks here, Indiana. <laughs> and then it turns out they're yeah. an hour from Chicago, too. Yeah, so yeah. they're actually a suburb of Chicago. Yeah, I mean, everyone drives in the Midwest, so you can actually live pretty far away from Chicago, but still kind of be within its orbit. I got yeah. you, I got you. So, the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Where is they that? They won the Super Bowl in 1996, so I've been a fan of them ever since. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, they're they're like three hours away. I mean, I'm close three to Three hours away. So they're in the yeah. middle of nowhere. Green Bay is like probably over three hours away from my house. They yeah. uh Parcells and Belichick. Yeah, 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 in the yeah. the in the in their Super Bowl. Yeah, so they uh, that's way out in the middle of nowhere. I, I think where, where, Green Bay is one of the bigger cities. It's near like uh, Green Bay is a city. Yeah, it's a okay. city. Yeah, it's near like Sturgeon Bay and stuff uh, like way that. out there. Yeah, you know, like so Wisconsin's like a mitt. You know, that's yeah, what they say it's like yeah. a mitt. So it's like on the finger, like on the thumb, on the thumb, of the, okay, of the mitt. Yeah, and Wisconsin is east of Illinois, right? North. North of Illinois. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you're in Southeast, so you're not that far from the rest of the world. Then. No, I'm not. No. Yeah. It, was, it was a good place to grow up. Yeah. yeah. And Chicago is not even Midwest. It should be called Mid-East, actually, if you, may, <laughs> if you think about it. Midwest Maybe. must have been the name before California became part of the Union. Probably. Right? I guess. Yeah, because yeah. if you look at it, if you put a vertical line yeah, yeah. down America, yeah, yeah. it's on the eastern side. Yeah, yeah. So, But if Chicagoans, uh, since your loyalty to the biggest city, your big city is Chicago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's funny, it's it's a cute city. It's a nice city, right? There's a lot going on, especially for Muslims. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. What makes me laugh and smile, though, is when Chicagoans, yeah. like, uh, 
categorize their city yeah. in the same sentence as New York, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, it's a good city, but don't take it too far and put Chicago in the same competitive set as it's New quantity York. versus quality. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from Wisconsin. Yeah, you yeah. got a Columbia sweater on. Did you yeah. go to Columbia? I had to go to Columbia, yeah. Okay, so you went from Wisconsin. You yeah. came to the big city. Yeah. You went up to uh, Harlem. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and Morningside there. Heights. It's, it's just below Harlem. Just below yeah. Harlem. In the upper 90s, right? Yeah, uh, it's in 116th and Columbus. Okay, beyond so, that. Okay. Yeah. So, tell what did you study there? Did you meet um, uh, what, Cyrus? He was a student. Uh, I think he said I think he, was, he, had, he had graduated by that time. Oh, okay. I first met Cyrus actually back when he was... Uh, he was, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but he was yeah. care director in New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's when fine. I first <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Back in 2012, when I uh, I had a, a short engagement with Park 51 Project, Yeah. Um, I uh, that's when I worked with Cyrus for a little bit. Oh, okay. I actually got some, like, uh, what was it? I think it was like an Irish Muslim delegation. I hooked him up with that delegation. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was like my first crazy. interaction with Cyrus. That's crazy. So, you, yeah. so what did you do in Columbia? What did you At Columbia, study? I studied public policy. Public so policy. the school there called the School of International Public Affairs. So my degrees and I have a master's in international affairs. Um, and uh, what that means is a, it, that can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. What exactly uh, is public policy? An international affairs degree or policy degree is a uh, it's a little bit different than like an academic degree in international relations. So I wasn't yeah. sitting there studying like you know. Uh, studying like realism or constructivism uh, i was to a certain extent like we had a we had a theory course like a, a yeah. you know international relations theory courses um and those were important and i actually really enjoyed those courses but that wasn't the um the objective of the degree was really to get you ready for a degree making policy or being part of the policy making process whether that means you're in the government whether that means you're in some kind of like research institution whether that means mm. you're going to join the un so that yeah. that has to be then specific to the country that you're in it doesn't i mean it's not so i mean there's also the as we all know like corporations in the private sector they also have an interest in uh uh, political risk they have an interest in uh what's called csr corporate um strategic responsibility corporate uh uh, no i forget the s it's not strategic something else Uh (laughs) corporate social responsibility corporate social responsibility um and uh so i mean there's there's a lot of opportunities and really um, uh, someone with my sort of degree you don't really know what their specialty is until you just ask them a little bit more. And so yeah. what I f- focused on there, I focused on conflict resolution and political development. Uh-huh. Um, and so um, I, shortly after graduation, I worked in a, a track two mediation. What is um, that? So when two countries, when there's like a civil war or something like that, and the UN, the UN will send like an envoy there, like Kofi Annan, yeah. right? Yeah. And the war in Syria, uh, the civil war, um, they sent Kofi Annan to try and figure that out. And yeah. that was like, you know, uh, presumably, like official representatives from the Syrians, uh, from the opposition, and then from Assad himself, um, participated. Obviously, it failed, and he failed. Yeah. Um, but that, that you could say that's like track one, right? Uh, track so- track three. I always explain it this way: track three is like when Israelis and Palestinians come together and like eat hummus and sing about peace. Like Nonsense. that's like that's like grassroots. Nonsense. That's like grassroots. I mean, it, it oh, you're talking about. That's, that's citizens. Not, yeah, that's like oh, citizens, right? That's like regular citizens saying that we want peace and we're not yeah, going to let see. war define us. And yeah. like, you know, the regular people don't want to fight, you know, and they they yeah. want to show that. And so that's like, you know, citizen to citizen diplomacy, basically. And, that, right? and that's very important because if you think about it, 
it looks like it's nonsense to be in the beginning. Yeah. But actually, if you think, oh, well, who's the politician of tomorrow? It's probably one of the mm. kids that's sitting there, right? Yeah, definitely. That's, so that's very like um, that's very long time horizon. Long term, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying it's unimportant, right? No, but it's actually it's actually more perhaps important. More, more important than anything. Yeah. Um, track two is in the middle. Track two is something that the official state actors they're aware of, um, uh, but they haven't officially endorsed come it. out and talked about or endorsed it. Yeah. Um, furthermore, sometimes they don't want to be seen as talking to the other side. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Oftentimes, track two mediations are extremely discreet. You'll never hear about them. Um, for instance, everyone has heard of the Oslo Accords. You've yeah. heard of the Oslo Accords. Those started off as track two negotiations between very influential Palestinian negotiators mm-hmm. and very influential um, uh, Israeli um, negotiators and representatives. Mm-hmm. And basically, Norwegians took them up to like a fancy cottage in Oslo or like something. Like a nice hotel. Or yeah, and they just like lived together for a few days and just hashed out. What, how did Norway get involved? Well, Norway likes to see itself as like a mediator country. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know so, if they saw themselves yeah. as anything at all. Besides well, I mean, so they, they, they basically say it's in their interest to, for there to be less war in the world. Okay. And that also, you know, there's this, there's issues of like blowback. There's issues of... Um, mm, you know their troops are often involved in like international delegations, inter- international um, what's it called, uh, like peacekeeping forces and things like that. Yeah. And so, in general, it doesn't hurt. I didn't know that about Norway. Yeah, and so basically, it, they have a, they have a, they've they've been blessed with a lot of resources, a pretty vibrant economy, stuff like that. And so, interestingly, these track two sorts of um, engagements are very low cost compared to like you know let's set up an embassy or let's let's have an official international conference or something something. this is just like let's house a few people in like a hotel and and feed them for a few days and talk to them yeah and just hope something happens you know because basically you bring unofficial representatives of the conflicting parties of the belligerents together and then they go back to their homes to their home government and they tell them what happened they say this is we talk to the other side there in this discreet way, yeah. there's no media. Media is a huge distorting, has a huge distorting effect totally. on warring parties. Um, and so um, they, so that's what happened in the Oslo Accords, is they went back, you know, mm-hmm. their superiors found the developments interesting, and that got bumped up uh, from a track two track one. to one, right? Now, here's a question. And that, that resulted in the Oslo Accords. Yeah. Here's a question for you. When we're, let's say we're a, hypo, uh, a hypothetical situation like it, the Israel position of the Americans on Israel. Yeah. When you get, or the American government, I should mm-hmm. say, when you get an American politician, yeah. you have to realize that that American politician, you're talking to him, he's going to be gone in four years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But if he's going to be gone in four years, you're going to have to repeat this. So you're actually not, he's not even the driver. He's yeah. merely a spokesperson, mm-hmm. temporary spokesperson for the real driver behind the policy. Yeah. Have you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not like you're dealing with Saddam Hussein or some dictator who's going to be there for another 30 years so that your policy actually has mm. I'm not saying that's good. I'm yeah, just yeah. saying that it seems to me that when you're getting a huge issue like this, yeah. and you got a guy who's merely a spokesperson for some far bigger thing, wouldn't as a negotiator they feel like this is like a waste of time because we're going to talk to this guy for 4 years. Then we're going to have a whole new ball game. Mm in four years and have to talk to that person. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this is a perennial problem. I mean, this, you know, what 
in in the in the literature around civil war mediation, this is what this oftentimes falls under what we call ripeness theory. Mm-hmm. So they'll say that you know certain t- like you could have you could give out the same proposal for peace, let's just say, yeah. you know, nine times, but the tenth time it'll work because the factors have lined up such that now is a very ripe time for peace. Imagine yeah. if you had a series of hoops that were swinging back and forth, right? Yeah. Just at the precise moment that like all ten hoops cross and form yeah. a clear path through, that's when you shoot your arrow. Um, and that, that's, does that mean you have to be shooting the arrow all the time? No, you just have to you have to be able just to be wait. very perceptive I and see. see now is the time for yeah. us to put forward a proposal because all the factors are in place. Yeah. Some people say this is a self fulfilling prophecy, like you know, if you keep talking you can about make something. things ripe if you really want to make things ripe. I if mean, you keep talking about something, yeah, I mean, yeah. And there's just, sometimes there's like rallying events that make people more ready to come to the table yeah so for example um like i I know obviously the war in syria is still happening but uh damistura who's the current envoy um for the united nations uh, for the syrian conflict um i remember he had some kind of you know crackpot plan where he basically he he thought that the destruction of Halab of Aleppo is imminent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aleppo is this historic city. You know, people aren't just going to let it, you know, be like crushed to smithereens. People are going to want to talk before mm. so we can avert this tragedy. Tragedy. No one wants this to happen, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, clearly... Nobody yeah. did it. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, he was wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, he thought this was a moment where people would kind of stop being so obstinate. Yeah. Um, but it just, the moment wasn't ripe. It, yeah. it, it needed to, t- it still needs to take something more. Um, yeah. I think the track three stuff is oh, underestimated. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's, that's the, really the big deal. If the track three stuff happens, mm-hmm. it's going to be beyond track one in the future. That's how people will view the whole world mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. those people are the people who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah. So yeah. people who are raised up, in that awareness, yeah, right, and that's molded their f- whole framework of how they yeah. see the world. I think, I mean, that's basically what we would call in international affairs. Um, we would call that the construction of norms in society, yeah. social norms in society. So, um, someone who's really into track three, they yeah. would, as you alluded to, they'd be really into um, how do we educate children about. Yeah. Like, if you're an Israeli, like, track three person, you'd be like, how do we educate people about Palestinians? Or if yeah. you're on the Palestinian side, how do we educate people about um, about who, uh, who what Israel is and yeah. what Judaism is? What's the difference between, you know, disagreeing with Israel's policies and, you know, uh, and, like, anti-Semitism or something like that, right? No, a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of Muslims, when they see the track three uh, type of diplomacy mm. on the Palestine-Israeli issue, mm. they immediately have suspects that it's a softening plot mm. what would you say to someone who says look all this stuff of let's try to get to understand what's going on right it's nothing other than a ploy to soften the palestinians and the rest of the muslims you know on the issue yeah you know right? I, what do you think about that so i i i think that when when both sides are trying to come together and they're trying to talk um i think it's always a good thing to talk now with that said when both sides talk, they need to be on equal footing. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I think we've had some incidents recently in the Muslim community um, where um, people have wanted to talk to the other side, and it's always a good thing to talk to the other side. You know, the less we talk, the further away we are from peace, as far as I'm concerned. And there are many people. Jonathan Powell wrote an interesting book called "Talking to Terrorists," um, mm. and he's an interesting guy. He has his own track two shop 
where he basically goes to governments and he says like I'm gonna go to like Colombia and talk to the FARC for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he'll just like go and like live in a cave with them or something wow. for a year and he'll do that. And he like he chronicles all his like insane stories, you know, yeah. from all over. Um, and this book talking to terrorists. But um, in this specific case he's tracked three programs. I think what just needs to be demonstrated on both sides is that there there's no conflicts of interest. So let's say that you're my enemy and I'm coming to like talk to you. Yeah. Um, but then you buy me like a flight and put me up in a hotel and stuff like was you know in Arabic we say right? I mean, that, yeah. you know that um, that hearts you know when when someone does something good for you yeah um, it's, you kind of find you it hard to you don't want to like you know I mean they, they did something yeah. good it's like someone invites you to the house feeds you dinner you don't spin their face yeah. after, right I mean it's um, and so there's but if there if there's a real disagreement you just want like I would totally support Muslims going to Israel Israelis coming to uh, Palestine or whatever um, as long as there was no exchange of, um, uh, you know, there was no conflicts of interest. Yeah. I worked as an intern, the United States Senate for a great senator who's now is kicked out of office, senator from Wisconsin, Senator Russ Feingold, former mm. Wisconsin senator. Um, and in his office, he was notorious for being so against any kind of, uh, anything that could be seen as a conflict of interest or in what his view is a straight up a bribe. So. Yeah. If we were invited to like a briefing, of, there are many briefings on campus by various lobbies and things like that. Campus, oh, sorry, on Congress, on Congress, oh, sorry, in Congress, on uh, Capitol Hill by various lobbies. We were not allowed to even take a free muffin. Yeah, like he would say, if you were yeah. caught like eating food at these events, yeah. then all you could have was water, and if you, if yeah. you, it, it, that's it. No yeah. orange juice, no nothing. Herb Cole, who is the other senator from Wisconsin, uh, invited uh, Russ's interns over for like breakfast once. And he was like, "Don't eat the food." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we were told explicitly, he had a whole room in his office yeah. devoted to gifts and such wow. that were um, sent to his office by various interests. And he would just put it. And he would just he would just donate them, or yeah. you know, and he the, wouldn't touch. The, the pharmaceutical right? have the same thing. Where oh. they used to, uh, we used to go to mm -hmm. conferences. Mm -hmm. when my mom, my mom was a physician. Mm -hmm. And we used to go yeah. to conferences, yeah. and I used to have a ball in these conferences. Yeah, One yeah, of them yeah. was in New Orleans. Yeah, and I'm telling you, the seafood, like oyster bars, yeah, yeah. that really expensive stuff. Yeah, and it's just out there every yeah. single night yeah. on ice, right? Yeah. So that stuff is just was, was all illegal now. I think, uh, pretty sure it's all illegal uh, because uh, they realize like this is nothing other than a bribe. Right? Yeah, yeah, and and I didn't know what these three syllable words were on yeah, all the toys yeah, yeah. they're giving us, yeah. right? That they're all the medicines and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, you know, some people will object and they'll say that, hey, you know, come on, a, a flight, like, that's really not going to change my view. That doesn't mean that all of a sudden I love all of Israel's policies yeah. or something like that. And there's, there's a there, chance. There's, 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 it's not about that. It's just about principle, right? Yeah. Um, it is also, I mean, when you engage too, I think that there also just needs to be, uh, there just needs to be a level of parity. Like, if yeah. they're, if they're, they're going to take you on a tour to show you their country, then you should be able to take them on a tour too, right? Yeah. There, it should be tit for tat in that regard until you build trust and until you genuinely can see the other side as someone that is an honest broker. And then from there, if you want to, um, you know, uh, if you want to maybe relax those kinds of uh, yeah. uh, barriers you put up, then that we can have that conversation. But, um, you know, it, it, that just wasn't demonstrated. You yeah. know, I don't think, in, in, especially in the cases recently in the Muslim community, I don't think that was demonstrated. Um, and it pissed a lot of people off. Furthermore, I think that the people, I mean, just to, just to be quite frank, it was just, my, from what I saw, it was like, 
99% Desis going over and like talking to like Israelis and yeah. like they aren't even Arab, they're not even Palestinian. Yeah. Um, I'm Kashmiri in origin, you know. Yeah. Um, the Indians in many ways have an even more brutal occupation of Kashmir than was happening in Palestine in many ways. I'm not trying to down, I'm not trying to play oppression Olympics, it's just, yeah. it's just yeah. a case. Um, yeah. But I would never, you know, if tomorrow the Indian government sponsored like a bunch of Egyptians to go over and talk to them. <laughs> well, what if a bunch of Arabs went uh, to talk to like some uh, alt-right racist folks? Yeah. Right? So, listen, I think we got a solution here. Right? It's not going to work. I don't think any African-Americans are going to have any respect for it. Right? Well, the thing is too is that here's another argument then. This is the... Uh, the main argument that the main response mm -hmm. is we have a knife in our back, mm. right? There's, and you want to have a discussion. There's no discussion. Mm. And many, if you go to any Palestinian, anyone who is right, remotely connected mm. to the actual stuff that's going on there, that's the view. Mm. The view is, wait a second, I have, I'm, I'm cut up here, yeah. right? I got bullets in me. Yeah. yeah. There's no discussion. Yeah, so yeah. when you have, uh, that's why harm is so bad. Because mm. once you have that level of harm, mm. there the, you you throw diplomacy out the window. Yeah. And every time that Netanyahu or someone else goes into Gaza and mows the lawn, right? <laughs> it sets back any type of. That's true. You know. So the the, I, uh, the feeling would be like, wait a second, like Malcolm X would say. Yeah. Martin Luther King, you're going to have a talk, and yeah. I got a knife in my back. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and you know, I I agree with that to an extent. Um, and I totally understand the sentiment. Um, but I guess, you know, I've over time, you know, Malcolm X also said, I mean, it, I don't know if he directly said this, but his message too was basically that no one's just going to give you your rights, right? Yeah. You got to fight and take them back yeah. yourself, right? And, you know, if they're mowing the lawn every couple, every every other summer or something yeah. like that, then the question is like, who's, who's letting them do that? Yeah. You know, I mean, like we, yeah. you know, it's just, it's because... It's because Muslims and Palestinians in particular, in this specific case, yeah. um, lack the ability to defend themselves. Yeah. And they lack patrons that can say that, you know, screw you, we're going to yeah. um, have a standing military. We're going to yeah. defend ourselves in every single way. And uh, there are bigger problems that prevent the Palestinians from, able, uh, from being able to do that, from being able yeah. to defend themselves. And I blame Israel less for defending itself. This might be controversial. I blame Israel less for defending itself. Then I uh, I actually blame Muslims more for not oh, of standing up oh, and doing more about it. Right? Totally you know, like if I was, you know, I think to yeah. myself, if I was an Israeli and yeah. my country was like, I don't know, like thirty square miles, like thirty, yeah. like thirty miles wide or whatever yeah. it is. I'm not sure how long. Of course, I mean, I would be doing exactly what. Well, Israel's what do you expect? <laughs> you know? Give charity. Yeah, right? like, you know, they're like, being who they are, yeah. and everyone's got their view of the world, yeah. and they're not pretending to be, you know, some kind of you know, open and friendly society, friendly towards the Palestinians. Yeah. They're telling you their position. Yeah. And they're, they're being who they are. And the problem is that our, uh, the neighboring Arab countries and, uh, you know, they have more blame than the neighboring Muslim countries. Like yeah, yeah. many people say, well, why do you always address the Arabs? Well, they're right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't expect Indonesia and Turkey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Turkey, but Indonesia and Pakistan to mm -hmm. go and do anything when the neighbors themselves aren't doing anything. Yeah. So they're being who they are. Mm -hmm. And the Arabs are are basically uh, becoming these. Uh, I mean, not only that, they're actually working with hand in hand now, mm -hmm. uh, establishing this country. You heard of Neom, 
right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And which is a playground for business and yeah. stuff between yeah, yeah. Saudi and Israel. And Jordan, too. And Jordan, and yeah. Egypt brokered it, gave them the islands, mm-hmm. right? So uh, that's where we were being basically, I guess, uh, we uh, quit and sided with the, uh, the bigger guy. Yeah, right? I mean, that's basically what you could say they did. Yeah, yeah. So you also cross paths though between the diplomacy and the political side, mm-hmm. which to me is, um, you know, quite far off in the sense that, yeah, my, yeah. from my experience, yeah, I'm not yeah, really yeah. experienced in that field. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in it mm-hmm. to a degree, uh, but you also have some ideas when it comes to Dean and whatnot, and that's basically yeah. we also. I also you got on my radar too the other day when you had. Uh, you, you did something to me, I, I, which I love, is showing some spunk when <laughs> when you had the Kadianis coming after oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my point has always been: can we have some spunk? Like we have no fight in us, and every three months, every two months, I feel that we got to show some spunk. Well, we both come from the similar background where we're yeah. trying to study the dean through this traditional route, which has a very high uh, values manners, right? Mm-hmm and gentleness and all these things are highly valued mm. but there's also some degree of spunk needed just mm. some fight in us right yeah, yeah we need to have some fight in us and we have to defend what we love yeah right and and that should not be confused and so how did you end up getting entangled with those guys i know i have to look back at the thread it was yeah. some time ago i've been busy with a few deadlines so i honestly forgot about it but I mean, you know, I'd, if I remember correctly, and you might have to edit this part out because I might ramble a bit, yeah. but um, uh, I, I forget who is, well, I guess um, for, the specific details are not super important. I yeah. mean, I think in general, you Like, did they go you into that or something or what? So interestingly, um, uh, Kashif Chaudhary, who's like one of their main, like, you know. He's their PR guy. Yeah, he's like yeah. one of their bulldogs. He DM'd me really nice. I can show you the full transcript. You know, it's like, let's talk, let's get coffee. Oh, blah, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then, like, you know, he would try and send me these coaxing quests, like, do you believe that we're this? Or yeah. do, you, do you believe that we should be denied rights? Well, it's like baiting, like, loaded questions, yeah. you know? Yeah. And the moment that I said something that was, like, mean, it wasn't even, like, I'm not, I'm, I was totally open with what yeah. I said. So, like, I said something like, um, I hope that you can, you can, uh, I feel like I hope that you can see uh, disbelief for what it is and I hope you come back to the straight path or something yeah. like this. And like, he's like, I'm going to screenshot this and show it to everyone. I was like, that's fine. I'll screenshot before you first. And so I just screenshotted it and just like, you know, I was like, I don't know. I'm totally, I'm, yeah. I'm not saying anything in private that I wouldn't say in public. That's you know? true. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, so I mean, in general though, I mean, just a just full out disclaimer, like I have even a relative of mine uh, in Pakistan, distant relative. I actually never met them. I don't even know their name. I was just told that like some one of my like parents has like some far off distant relative that um, converted to um, the this religion um, and was became like a, basically a da'i for this religion wow. and then was murdered in Pakistan for it. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, and I remember my parents telling me this. They're like, it's really unfortunate, but like he just wasn't a Muslim. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, like, it's one of these things where, um, like you know obviously we're sad and like no one wants to see there. And I think it was, you know, I think it was, it was, it was very unfortunate that this incident happened. I don't want it to happen. You yeah. know, I don't want people to die for that. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to let my emotions 
guide my theological beliefs, right? And like, you know, it's really sad and I don't want this violence, but I'm not going... Yeah, it it just doesn't work like that, right? Yeah. You know, and so I did, I always tell that story just to kind of let people know that I actually have like somewhat I've had somewhat of a personal stake in yeah. this, right? It's very easy for me to be like, yeah, like yeah. you know, we need to be accepting, we need to like love these people, we need to like bring them into the fold of Islam and things like that. But I don't believe that at all. In yeah. fact, I feel like if I believe that, it would be form of kufr, right? I, I yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I can't love people for being human beings. You yeah. know, um, uh, one of our teachers told us that if uh, I mean, so I think Dr. Murray once said that, like, if you could see the light inside the heart of even a Kafir, right, that you would still be blinded by that light. And so far as that Allah would Allah still created that individual, yeah. right? There's still something there that is real, right? I mean, that, that they still have something, and they still have the fifth row within. There's still something there. It doesn't matter what their beliefs are. Yeah. That does Now, does that mean that we, like, start accommodating all human beings, start believing in, like, some kind of, like, Cosmic yeah, like, you know, perennial, like, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Like some kind of one world religion. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just yeah. saying that we can respect people on the planet. Yeah, and even manner. the prophets stood yeah. up for the funeral, right? Sure, so sure. Isn't it a soul? It's still a soul. Yeah, it's still a right? soul, right? Yeah. And so that's what I'll say about that. I mean, and, but there's like so many like weird tactics. Like, for instance, you use their term Kadiani, they'll say that's a slur. It doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. just a reference to. It's a location. It's a right? reference to the the land. If any, if there's anyone being insulted by this, it's the noble land of Kadian that we're. <laughs> 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 you know I mean? Like I don't know. Like it's not. Yeah. It's just a term. Which it's just like, it's <laughs> probably what is it? Majority Sunni. I have no idea. Yeah. I've never been. That there. would be ironic. Yeah. Yeah. That should be really offended. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I my I know my my parents sometimes will call them Mirzai in okay. in, uh, yeah. in there's like you know. It's, his first name is Mirza, so the same Mirza, right? Basically, right? and then all the people who name Mirza get upset. Yeah, I guess. So. Get I mean, upset. you know, you have, to, yeah. you have to some kind of term to refer to them, um, but the term is just, uh, I think, it's, it's, it's tangential. What's really at yeah. stake is that, you know, there's a group. I think that they're baiting. They're trying to gain sympathy, sympathy from uh, people who don't know that much about Islam, um, yeah. people who kind of control the narrative, people who are very interested in promoting. Uh, the ideas of like uh, you know that you yeah. know most Muslims are extremists, or most Muslims are terrorists, or something, or are very at least at the very least too conservative for America to handle, yeah. and that they need to be domesticated effectively, I right? Because yeah. one of his so, reforms, his ref, he does have uh, reforms, and mm-hmm. and and one of their reforms is the idea that uh, they do render Islam to be a a civil a civic religion mm, mm. like we were talking before we started yeah, yeah, recording yeah. on rousseau's commentary on civic religion yeah of the idea that it tolerance is the number one feature mm. that all these religions must have according mm-hmm. to john jacques rousseau's vision mm-hmm. of uh religions different religions coexisting yeah, yeah and i think that the this group does have this idea this reform mm. that they want to remove all these things so it is in a sense a reformist right they have this um i mean their their slogan is this love for all hatred for none kind of thing um which i think sounds great on paper you know but i think in general what that means is i think you you end up watering everyone else down when you say that i mean people want to have beliefs that are well defined that give them a sense of certainty And uh, uh, that that the genuine that really means something deep to them that yeah. has a very um, kind of you could say intricate metaphysical structure and and it gives us a reason to believe to yeah. hold on to it yeah and and mm. so you know when you say 
So you, you mentioned Rousseau. What I mean, just to maybe give listeners a little bit of a background, he wrote this book, The Social Contract, and I've just had been having to read it recently for some work things that I'm doing. And uh, I just found the last chat, one of the last chapters, um, I think it's called like On Civic Religion in Book Four of The Social Contract, um, chapter eight, if I remember correctly. Um, and he basically says that, you know, in a proper state, in his theory, theorization of how religion should function in society, religions should be ones that um, basically they can believe, you know, they should have they should have things that are common to all good religions. Like they believe in the God or an afterlife and you'll yeah. be judged and blah, blah, blah. And like good that and kind of thing, morals. right? Yeah. And morals. And like you should believe in that. But you shouldn't have doctrines or creed, creedal beliefs that state that salvation does not exist beyond my church, basically, yeah. right? Or that anyone who's not within my church will not be saved. Like, if you start saying that, Rousseau genuinely believed, and I think it's a, like, I'm not saying it's a concern that doesn't have any basis or merit, yeah. uh, but he genuinely believed that if you have people who say that in your society, that that sentiment will bleed onto other, will bleed out, yeah. and eventually you'll, you'll be, basically you begin creating enclaves in society, yeah. right? And that splits the, that, that causes fissures in the, body politic what he calls yeah. the body politic um and the basically the citizenry um ends up becoming divided this causes social division all these other sorts of things yeah. and as a result um it's just not good for any for the so for social cohesion to have these groups in society and in a yeah. sense they're kind of a threat uh, when they start dividing people in this way and so he says you can have religion he's not against it he just says just don't make it to uh, just don't threaten the social fabric yeah. with it. So he's, he states pretty clearly, as in my reading of it, I'm no expert in Rousseau, and so if someone wants to come and refute me, and I invite them to, but um, I think that you know, what he's basically saying is um, we have to be intolerant of intolerance. Yeah. And so what, yeah, so basically believe whatever you want as long as you are just, you, you pat everyone else on the head. Yeah. I think is, is a good way to put it. No, know? his thing is... Uh, I don't know if, uh, how, how much he's, mm -hmm. how deep he looked at it mm -hmm. because salvation is very different from mm. exclusivity. Mm. They're two different doctrines completely. Mm. Salvation, and, and they, they do have an overlap. Sure. Once the Tao has been given to someone, right, then what we can say is, okay, the message has been given mm. and it has been given like very simply and the person mm -hmm. understood it. They have a mind. Mm -hmm. They're sane. Mm -hmm. They've understood it. Uh, we so we do have that aspect. We do have the aspect that of theological exclusivism, but we also have a lot of hadiths and sunan on manners, mm. on uh, everything else, on uh, how to interact, mm. on where we stop, mm. right? With our vigilante, for example, vigilante actions, mm. we have examples of that stuff mm -hmm. uh, in the sunnah. So. I don't know how deep he got into that, yeah. but from what I see is uh, Islam of all religions has a lot of detail on mm -hmm. how to interact with uh, a, a, someone who's just a sinner, right? How to interact with someone who doesn't believe, mm -hmm. someone interact with someone who's received the message and still doesn't believe it. Mm -hmm. When you're a citizen, mm -hmm. when you're a citizen under a non-Muslim land, mm -hmm. we have examples of that, mm -hmm. right? Or like Ethiopia, right? Mm -hmm. There were examples. Yeah, yeah. We have uh, all these, we have a lot of, uh, I guess I, don't, I hate to use this word, but nuances yeah. to when we talk about these things. Mm. I don't know how deep he went into it. So I do uh, get his uh, point you know, from, a, from, a, from his perspective. Mm -hmm. I see where he's saying. Mm -hmm. 
And I also see at the same time that there could be a situation where you do actually have those types of beliefs, mm -hmm. but you're capable of coexisting. Yeah, I mean, right? I, I'm always just inspired, you know, you know, I, I'll give a disclaimer, like, when I give historical examples, I'm not saying that everything that happened in the past was just way better and all this other stuff, but you look in the not too recent, in the, in the, in the, in the relatively recent past, rather, in the Muslim world, and it's a highly mixed society. And this always just isn't something that just amazed me just as someone who studied political science and international affairs is that um, how do you have societies that are just, I mean, just incredibly intricate, you know, just, yeah. I mean, thousands of languages, like, different religions, not even all, not even just different in terms of just like Christianity, Judaism, yeah. and uh, Islam, but rather just like the most like out there sects, you know, just yeah. like all sorts of like, you know, deviancy just yeah. everywhere, at least from a Sunni perspective, right? Yeah. And, uh, uh, but you know, the society didn't melt down, right? Yeah. You don't have like wide scale, like, um, like, you know, you don't have like the 30 years war type thing yeah. happening in the Muslim world. And now maybe you do right i mean some people and I, have and i always yeah. feel that if you get a whole bunch of educated people mm -hmm. and they to can totally believe in the exclusivism of their ideas mm -hmm. uh, educated people will figure out a way mm. to to live without war yeah whereas if you get the most ignorant people mm. and you make them believe on 95 percent of the same beliefs mm -hmm. even the foundations but if they're ignorant, they'll find a way to actually get emotional, mm. right? And, and and pick fights and have wars. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a name for this phenomenon. I think it's called the Dunning Kroner um, line or something like yeah. this. Basically, like if you can imagine like y axis and x axis, and then this is like um, knowledge. Like if you on the y axis you have like knowledge of a certain of a given faith, right? Yeah. And then you have. Uh, 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 zealousness, yeah. Uh, what you basically? Oh no, what is it? Ah, damn, it. you might have yeah, to zeal like, zeal yeah, it's not zealousness. It's basically saying that um, uh, the people who know very little about their religion and yeah. they know they know very yeah. little about their religion, yeah. they're very calm people, right? Yeah. Like they they fall in line, they listen to their they listen to authority, and they they don't claim to know too much, yeah. and they don't cause any trouble. And then there, some, then there are people who know a ton about the religion, yeah. and they know that it's very complicated, and things are not um, very cut and dry, and that um, you know they can't do brash things as yeah. a result. But then there's that middle group that they know something about the religion, but they don't. But they also they don't know that they don't know that yeah. much about the religion. Yeah. So they basically become like huge. Like, you know, I was going to say douchebag. I'm not yeah. sure if that's like a bad word <laughs> on your podcast, but like, you know, they basically become, they become troublemakers. Yeah, they yeah. become troublemakers, right? Yeah. They're this kind of group in the middle where yeah. they have more literacy, yeah. they, but they think they know a whole lot yeah, about the they religion. they think they got their head around the Yeah, that they figured it out, but they, they haven't studied enough to realize that to, the humility has left them at this yeah. point. So this kind of interesting thing where initially you have humility, then you very, you, there's a trap that comes where you, where you think you've got to figure yeah. it out, but then... Uh, and then you can do some really dumb things yeah. and then there's another line that you come to when you've really deeply studied yeah. something and the humility returns to you it's funny because i think that at some point unless someone had uh guidance mm. like a father figure mm. or li literally lived with an imam or something mm. or near an imam a lot of us in the west when we went out and studied mm. we ended up going through that mm. right where yeah. because we, yeah. we would come back and in a lot of cases, a lot of people who went uh, over and studied came back and 
found themselves to be the most knowledgeable person in their family yeah or in their household or in their even their neighborhood mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and as a result of that right that's where the humility goes away yeah and they start talking and people listening and then yeah. they start arguing yeah and they become a mess and they make a mess yeah and in dawa and i've met i've had ex- direct experience with people mm. who do know a thing or two yeah, right yeah. that is impressive a mm. thing or two you know that they can impress people with but they don't realize the complexity of what they're doing mm-hmm. and they just absolutely make an absolute mess out of everything mm-hmm. and divide communities and, and make uh uh drama create all sorts of dramas and it's all because of this that degree of ignorance yeah yeah you know? i mean i think i mean something i've thought about somewhat like i said i'm no expert i don't claim to know all the answers or anything yeah. but i think i mean we see so, sort of a problem with this i think in the Muslim community here in America, which is what I'm uh, I say most knowledgeable of, given that's what I've grown up around, is that I think you see a lot of people who um, uh, they know that they're not Mashiach or Shiuch or anything like that, and yeah. so they, they listen to them and they try and figure out what's going on, and they're they're just they're just you know they don't have any um, bad intentions, yeah. you know, they're just trying to learn. Um, layman, right? Yeah. And then you have people who are, who've actually studied Mashiach. Yeah. And then there's like an interesting kind of new class emerging, like people who they've studied somewhat, right? And I guess we're calling them Ustad or Asadita yeah. these days, right? Or Sidi, I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, it really just depends where you are, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I really feel that we lack a kind of clarity on exactly, we don't even, I, I honestly don't, know, when I call it like, you know, no disrespect, but like, you know. Yeah. Someone calls you Sheikh or calls another guy Milana or calls another guy Sheikh or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know what that means. Yeah, what does it mean? Right? I don't exactly. know I don't yeah. know what your credentials are, right? Yeah. Like for instance, yeah. if I like you have a I imagine you have a bachelor's in something and, yeah. and you have a PhD, you're Dr. Yeah. Shah Master. <laughs> I know what that means. You wrote a dissertation. Yeah. You have like a uh, uh, presumably I can go online and find it. I can see, I can look and judge your work, I can see it, yeah. and I can I can make a decent kind of uh, uh, judgment. Of your expertise, just you know, I, I know you went to SOAS, right? Well, what it like, gives you is yeah. that at least three people sat, make sure yeah. that you know how to reference your work, yeah, right, and yeah. you put something that makes sense whether they liked yeah. it or not, yeah, that is an argument that's between three and four hundred pages mm-hmm. long, yeah. So you had to have read at least a hundred books, yeah. That's basically what it gives you, yeah. Right? And, and so for me, I'm like, okay, great. You know, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm that. You know, not every guy with a PhD I'm going to start taking dean from, but like yeah. that. That means that you're not that you have the capability to conduct to research, reference. right? Yeah. And that, to like get into a decent school, yeah. and like it means that you you might have something interesting to say. Yeah. Um, where he's like, I, you know, I don't. I've never studied abroad. I've never, yeah. you know, I've taken Arabic in college for several years and things like that. And I, yeah. you know, I've been blessed to sit with some of the the people of Allah, but I haven't, you know. But even still, with yeah. with that very like 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 modicum of knowledge that I yeah. have, people have called me sheikh in the past. So, I mean, you could maybe ingest, yeah. But like, I'm horrified, right? Yeah. This is the idea, like what, like if you yeah. know, you know? The, that middle yeah. ground, yeah, is. Students who who are but have something to say, mm-hmm. I think that's that 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 is the realm of dawa, mm. right? Where you're a dai, mm. so you're calling people to the general yeah. thing called Islam or the general thing called study. Well, right? so, so it's interesting because I, I feel like you know in Sunni Islam we have like a rel- I mean, there's, there's so many benefits to this, yeah. and I'm not trying to change this in what, whatsoever. Uh, we have a very decentralized system, right? Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, we don't have a clerisy uh-huh. per se. I think you say the Shia have kind yeah. of a clerisy. And, uh, uh, and that has, that has advantages and disadvantages too. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing, you know, I don't, like I said, I'm not an expert in, uh, in, in, uh, in Shia thought or anything, but 
I, I am of the understanding that you start off and you're, you, you're like a hujatullah, then you're something else, Allah, you and then you go up and they become an ayatullah, right? And then you can see that there are gradations in authority and you can see um, that, you know, people have, uh, that some people are just smarter than others, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, and so, and I just wonder, like, maybe are we, would it be okay for maybe sin, for Muslim, Sunni Muslim organizations to just, you know, the interesting thing, and just, I'll say, I'll say something else. Uh, we talked about PhDs before, but we also can talk about what an ijaza did historically, right? Yeah. If let's say um, someone says, you know, I have my ijaza in this science, like in fiqh or something, from this person, yeah. and then I could I could be like I could look up who that person was in like a tabaqa in the yeah. tabaqat dictionary. Like, so who did he learn from? Yeah, who did he exactly. learn from? And let's say you screw up, right, in like teaching me some fiqh subject yeah. in some like masala. Who do you go uh, to? I could be I could blame your teacher. Be like, yeah. what you taught this guy? Yeah, you know the 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 buck falls with you. you know, Which is better than you, right? the university? Yes, that's that's my point. So in yeah. an institution, you can't do that because like let's say I'm a graduate of Columbia University. And I start teaching people like political science or something, and I start yeah. teaching them totally like this is like utter baloney, you know? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? Blame Columbia? Like, yeah. what is Columbia? Exactly. Columbia is an abstract entity. That's it doesn't true. mean anything, right? It's just it has a reputation, yeah. but it's not. A, it doesn't have a heart. It doesn't have a soul, right? It's just. Yeah. It's just you know. It's, just, it's something you could talk to. It's an entity. It's a, yeah. it's literally you know a corporate educational entity, yeah. private school, and. Uh, uh, there's not as much accountability. Interesting. I mean, I, I think that, you know, I was thinking about this and I, I don't know, I'm very, uh, I'm very much an amateur, but I think that uh, we would do well to, I think if the Mashiach could come together and just decide upon some kind of like very basic yeah. standard, right? And, and I have you an know? idea about that. And maybe you have, diff maybe you have different, uh, there are different schools in terms yeah. of what the standard should be, and that's okay, yeah, that's but okay. there should be some should definitional be clarity. Yeah. That's what I feel. That's my and, and the yeah. groups that succeed have that. For mm. example, if you talk to any Diobundi. Mm, yeah, they do have definitional they clarity. They have that, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, people uh, go on about them because maybe they don't have the critical thinking type of thing, mm. or they don't study outside the Hanafi school. Yeah. But when one of them goes, studies, memorize the whole Quran, Studies the Hanafi madhab mm -hmm. up to a certain book, whatever their main yeah, book. Yeah, like is. usually like what's the, the Hidayah? Yeah, that's the main book. I mean, that's like usually that's where it stops. It like stops. once you've read Hidayah, you, you read Hidayah, yeah. and you have or, at least, or Sharh Hidayah, like you know, I mean, beyond Hidayah, usually yeah. study a Sharh of it or something. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, good. So then the third thing is that they read the six books with directly from a Sheikh Riwayah, and by the way, Riwayah is also. Um, can be done in other ways. Mm. In Syria, the main way they do it is once you've understood the sciences, mm. right, then they'll read some of the hadith with you and give you the ijazah for mm. rel relaying the rest mm. because they know that you'll understand what's in it because right. you're, you're ijazah in aqidah and mm. fiqh and mm. usul. Mm -hmm. And these four things have allowed the Darul Alums to do a type of, to create a standard yeah. and march you through, right, yeah. and then when they say that you're this or that, what it does, it is true because you did pass this test, this test, this yeah, test, yeah. and what have you. So that is a group that uh, has shown mm -hmm. that you can reproduce it once yeah. you give it a standard. The Shafi'iyya, have you studied this or that? Mm -hmm. Once you you know read certain books, we know what I can ask you and what I can't. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's why those standards are pretty important. I yeah. think the other thing that you mentioned is the tabaqat. Yeah. Is the standard thing is one thing. The other thing is which I think is a great idea that someone's got to do. And it, it should be really fun. Mm -hmm. Anyone who is teaching the dean, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. right? There should be a, 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 a like a Bitcoin ledger, right? Yeah. Who are you? Like, where do you, who trained you? Mm-hmm. Can you give us one or two letters yeah, yeah. Of, from your scholars that yeah. tell us this work he's educated in? Mm-hmm. I educated him in this book. Yeah, yeah. This Aqidah Tahawiyah, I explained it to him and he understands it fully. Yeah. Or this fifth examination, he passed it under my watch. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be really good for people. Yeah. And you could have everyone on there. And there is a uh, Wikipedia for sheikhs, but no, the person who started it didn't upkeep it. Mm. I think that they had a good intention for mm. it. Mm. And uh, but I don't believe in anonymous stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's got to be out there. Mm-hmm. And by the way, these biographies are all public. Yeah. So it, they don't have to get permission from the sheikh. Yeah. He should be happy, right? Yeah. That you're putting his name there. What does he teach? And then what does he? Uh, who did he study from? So that when we take our religion and when we advise people, I say, look, go here. These are these are the sheikhs that have all their credentials are out there. Mm-hmm. And I really think the Ijazah system is far uh, superior from the aspect of uh, being able to go back and mm-hmm. say, wait a second, you studied under so and so. So if I have a problem with what you're saying, I'll just talk to so and so. Yeah, I'll talk to your sheikh mm-hmm. and. Who, who's caused a mess in, in, in the Western world mm. is people who come in and give you a claim on a shift that they studied with that no, no, no one really knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And if I did know, we can't call him. Yeah. And, I've, and we've seen people locally recently, uh, not locally, but locally as in the Western Hemisphere, yeah, yeah, yeah. that they have no teachers in the West, mm. like no colleagues. Mm. It's just all, oh, shift so-and-so way over there. Right. And there's no way that we can trace this back. Yeah. When I was a student in England, there was a guy who said he studied with Sheikh Abdel Fattah Abu Khudda. He went on, and as soon as some problems came up, one of the students called up, picked up the phone. And he said, Sheikh, so, so-and-so, your student is saying this and that. I know you don't teach that. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've never even heard of him. So he was just, he was just literally name-dropping Sheikhs wow. that they haven't heard of. And... Um, that's a big problem. And yeah. I think the other beauty about the Ijazah system is that when you get an Ijazah from an individual, you owe it to them mm. to be honest to their thing. It's a responsibility. More so than a flag that you could raise, it's a responsibility. And it's your accountability, mm-hmm. right? You can quote unquote get ratted out on, right? Mm-hmm. Go back to your sheikh and you don't want that. Nobody mm-hmm. wants that. Yeah, yeah. So I think, and also it's the personal connection. Right. And that's why these the Ijazah for the online is to me is meaningless. You got to have a personal yeah. interaction because how many people have piled up Ijazahs then went AWOL? Yeah, Ijazah doesn't protect you from going. I think a lot of people being, too uh, don't know that like the Ijazah come in many different types. Right? Many different types. And yeah. so maybe you can tell us if you. I know yeah, there's there, like well, Hamisia. There's like there's a baraka Ijazah. There's a baraka Ijazah. There's a Ijazah Am right. And and when people give those ijazas, it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's so ijazah ama just means a general license. General ijazah on a subject, yeah, yeah. right. And uh, uh, ijazah for baraka is just for baraka, right? That you're you're you've looped into this chain, yeah. But the ijazah ama, and some of them call it ijazah ama lil baraka, right? Mm-hmm. But the ijazah ama also has another function: is that certain subjects would take way too long to cover word by word. Mm. But the sheikh ascertains that you've understood the subject. Like, I know you understand the subject, right? Mm. We're not going to have to read word by word. Mm. 
but I will give you ijazah that you could teach this book, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. right? And that ijazah is the it's for practical reasons mm -hmm. that namely that there's no way we're going to sit and, and read word by word anymore mm -hmm. and so you're going to get the ijazah because i know you know the the loop of yeah. the content right and then you have the larger the deeper ijazahs which is actually for a book mm. uh, and in that way one of the re ways they do it is they also don't read anymore they'll say write me a commentary mm. right or even record a commentary mm. Mm. the sheikh will listen to it interesting or read it Right, and he'll give you the ijazah on that basis mm. that you've understood it. Like what you've written down is great. Yeah, and then you have even deeper ijazahs that is like what you could call that the biggest type is like khilaf almost. Mm. And what what we mean by that is the successor. Mm. And we don't really have that here, but anyone who has a, a position or a seat where he ha he's in charge of the school or he's in charge of a thousand students in this location or a thousand followers right mm -hmm. or more uh what have you whatever the number is so the one who is their shepherd passes on mm -hmm. and he he has someone who's been his assistant for 20 years and now that becomes khalifa mm -hmm. in shepherding these families in their islam mm -hmm. right and we don't really have much of that but i can i it's might not be that far off that you have mashaykh that families look up to mm. well when he goes away well who's going to be left right. so he needs a 20-year assistant to take that position because yeah. you can't just leave it yeah that's a huge fitna oh yeah you know when you leave it so these are all the different ijazas and i wanted to actually go back and yeah jump back to Rousseau. yeah so he's calling for the nation he's talking about nation states right mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I've well, always... He doesn't use the term nation-state in particular. What does but he I, say? I, what does he call he, it? I mean, he calls it just the state. The state. He'll but call it the, the government. Geographics yeah, I right? mean, this is... He's writing, I believe, after the Treaty of Westphalia, if I understand. So I believe at yeah, this okay. point, you know, nation-states have essentially begun to form. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he might not use that term, at least now the... It's from French. So at least in the translation I was looking at, he uses the term state, government, Sometimes he'll even refer to the government as the prince. Like he'll just call oh, the okay. whole body the prince. Yeah. Anyway, so. So on, yeah. what I was saying was that my idea of citizenship, mm. or the not my idea, the Islamic idea of citizenship mm -hmm. is completely different, mm. radically different. Mm. Uh, heresy yeah. in the eyes of, you know, the nation state, which sure. is, I mean, we're accustomed to the idea that your geographical location is what makes you gives you certain rights right have they ever brought up and questioned that premise by itself that why should it something so random like you mean like western thinkers yeah. or like someone like Rousseau mm. I don't think because he wants to subjugate beliefs mm. in his system he subjugates right. beliefs so I mean I guess I'll give a, a very brief overview of my understanding of this and you know if there's any Rousseau expert listening and I'm totally butchering this just feel free to write me a hateful tweet or something no, no, but no. I my understanding is basically this. This is what happens. If you're an individual, you live in a state of nature. He'll say that people, the ultimate form of, you know, at the end of the day, people are individuals. And he even writes in the beginning that, you know, um, even your father and mother's love for you is conditional. They get, like, they get some kind of endorphin from loving you uh -huh. and stuff like that. So that's why they take care of you. 
um, and you get food and shelter from them. That's why you like, you know, are a doting child. Yeah. But it, essentially, you know, once those things are gone, people become independent mm-hmm. and they, they're in a state of nature and they defend for themselves, they defend for their own property. And they, and that's, he calls that the natural state of freedom. People just have this utter like freedom, liberty to do what they want, but they also have to deal with the world. All right. And so when that is too difficult, when like the saber toothed tiger keeps eating you, you know, then you just kind of want to like get together with Erg and like, you know, yeah. form like a clan or something, <laughs> right? Um, you say that, hey, um, our, it's better if we all basically um, entirely submit our entire independence and freedom um, to, and we pool it, basically pool it together and we form this thing that he calls the general will, right? And, or he calls it the sovereign. And then once the sovereign is created, it bounces back onto you and you yeah. actually have more freedom yeah. than you had before. It's but it's a different type of freedom. So it's civic freedom, that's yeah. what he calls it. Ibn Khaldun has the same thing. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. so, there, so this asabiyah, right? This whole yeah, thing. Yeah, okay. well, yeah. Ibn Khaldun's idea is that uh, everyone's out there to, mm-hmm. to eat. Mm-hmm. So we're all stealing from each other. We're all fighting. Yeah. And then uh, the one guy comes and he has a far greater mm. force than everyone else. Mm. And you're just lucky if he establishes justice. Mm. Then you say, okay, let's just, let's let's play along with this, mm-hmm. right? And then after the first king dies, he's, then it's a royal family after that. Right. So it's the same idea, basically. Yeah, so I mean, so that's that's where he gets this idea of the people as sovereign and that yeah. this the, 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 the body politic, as he calls it, this new association of people, they then decide to institute a government mm-hmm. that will, uh, that has a will of its own. Yeah. And, that government um, basically uh, takes care of this, you could say, jurisdiction of people. Yeah. And, you know, if it's a jurisdiction of people, they exist in time and space, and so they exist within a, in a, in a polity that can be defined, by, at least in his time, by borders, and, and, and the government also usually marshals an army and collects taxes and these yeah. others, and then protects your property, which is the reason why you instituted it, right? Because yeah. you don't want the saber-toothed tiger to keep eating you. Yeah. So you the so you create a government that creates an army and has taxes and takes care yeah. of people, right? Um, uh, and so you have this 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 these this concept of rights that are enshrined within a given territory, right? Which is essentially the idea of a nation state, right? Yeah. Now. I understand what you're, where you're kind of going with this. Um, something that I think about maybe more than I should. Um, and, uh, you know, there's there's an interesting book that I encourage people to check out. It's by Nicholas Pelham. Um, mm. It's called Holy Lands. Um, uh, there's a subtitle. I forget the subtitle. He's a former um, senior uh, correspondent for The Economist. Mm. And he basically talks about how, um, so, like, within... Uh, many pre-modern states, like for instance, and, uh, or uh, yeah, in pre-modern states, he, he uses a lot of examples from the Ottoman Empire. You didn't have a nation state so much as you had a nation's state, right? So like there were multiple nations within a single state, yeah. um, and these nations ruled each other by ruled uh, they didn't rule each other say so they ruled their own communities according to internal laws millet system millets uh, that's yeah. what the Ottomans called it yeah. um, and uh, uh, these laws uh, gave you know they, they their jurisdiction was not based on land it was based on people so for instance if you were like the grand rabbi or the chief rabbi of the Ottoman state or whatever your jurisdiction would not extend to like a certain region. Rather, your jurisdiction was over every Jew walking yes. around the empire, yes. right? 
Um, it would the jurisdiction just be the entire state, like yeah. the borders of the state. Yeah. But it, it wasn't so much like okay, you're in Wisconsin. There's this law that applies to you, but now yeah. you're in Illinois. There's another law that applies to you. Exactly. It was like, yeah. who are you as an individual, and what group identity do you associate yeah. with? So what is your and that's why... Well, so the reason people have an issue with this today is because what it would require, it would require people to basically register as part of a group, right? And then the, the problem people have is, well, then the state is going to define who's an officially recognized group. So, for instance, China, they have like 50 or 56 or something recognized minority groups. Or so. I think they increase a couple like every few years. Well, don't people like, register as Democrats and Republicans? They do. What's, that, what's wrong? Yeah. See, yeah. that's a political belief, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that to avoid culture wars, mm. then the there should be this idea, the, the, the idea of what is your cosmology, what do you believe about the world, mm. where do you get your rights and wrongs from, is far more important. Who defines your right and wrong mm. is far more important yeah. than anything else. Geography, yeah. blood, it's far... It can. It's far more important than all these things. Yeah, yeah, and right. I, you know, there, this is a major problem, and I think in in a lot of political science literature, there's uh, an author that I'm actually reading his book as we speak. Uh, he's a he's a head of the government department at London School of Economics at LSC. Mm-hmm. His name is Chandra Chandra Kukatas. Okay, he's, I think he's. I want to say like originally Sri Lankan, but then his family had been grown had been uh, in Malaysia or something for like a couple generations mm. and he's just had like a very there's like an international crouton he's kind of getting tossed around the world oh, you know yeah, he's kind yeah. of seen it all seen so many different religions and stuff like that how yeah. people live and uh he's he wrote this book called the liberal archipelago and okay. he basically talks about how do we give people this kind of uh, communal autonomy yeah. right within modern liberal nation states and can we talk about a way forward on that and uh, what's the kind of political theory? And he's trying to create a political theory to accommodate basically minority views and minority differences, so what we call minorities. Back then, we wouldn't call them minorities. We would just call them like another group in society, yeah. right? Um, it wasn't so much as they would conceive of it as a majority versus a minority. The other thing, too, that people have a problem with when they go back into history, when they start being maybe overly nostalgic for the Ottoman Empire, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the first to be guilty of such like that, you know? Um, but uh, the other thing that people have an issue with um, is that despite you know this incredible diversity there was a reality that you kind of have to be upfront about was that state power was always legally enshrined in the hands of muslims right the the sulta right was in the hands of muslims it was never going to be in the hand of anybody else yeah. it wasn't open to everybody else yeah. and uh political theorists today like john rawls and others they'll say that this is this is a, a, a enormous injustice to the human being right mm-hmm. so um he basically thinks that there needs to be equality of opportunity, right? And this is a norm that I think modern people have become uh, well, very whole, used to, right? That's the whole right. premise of secularism. Right, equality of opportunity. And yeah. the, well, I don't know if it was the whole premise. Of, what do you mean by the whole premise of secularism? Well, like, the, whole, the, whole, the whole... The idea, of, yeah, go ahead. The idea that uh, your religion is a private matter and mm. really shouldn't have too much mm. uh, pronoun- pronouncement mm. in the world. Right. Well, so so uh, Sabah Mahmood, who's a great, great um, academic over at, at Berkeley, wrote this book um, uh, called um, uh, Religious Difference in a Secular Age, Minority Report. And this uh, focuses on Egypt. And she, she, I heard her giving an interview about the book. And she has this really great quote where she says, like, the, the promise of the nation state was that there would be one law for all citizens. 
right? People wouldn't be subjects any longer, so we would use the term riaya, right? Yeah. They would rather be muwatinun, right? Oh. The people, they would all be equal in the eyes of the law, but there'd be only one law for everybody, right? And so as a result, all citizens are now equal. There's equality of opportunity. Anybody can run for president. Anybody can. This is what, she, so know. she's a secular. This is, this, well, I don't know if she's a secular. She, I, actually, she's, she, her whole book is a critique of, of you know, the advantages and disadvantages. I don't think she takes an open position. Oh, she's just explaining. She's just explaining. Oh, I got she's, okay. a, she's a very, she's, a very, she's like an, almost an anthropologist of secular. I, I thought she's actually. She's, she's cool. like a, she's like a, an, an acolyte or a disciple, you could say, of uh, Talal Asad and, okay. and a lot of these other folks. Um, uh, but, you know, this idea that, so I mean, so when people, to go back to my original point, you know, Muslims, I think, they oftentimes will get overly nostalgic about, um, you know, if only we could go back to like, you know, the way it was in like 1850 or something like that. And, yeah. you know, let's say you did go back to that. If, if let's say you just were able to hit the rewind button and make the political structures in the Muslim world exactly like that today, yeah. you would have like, but the people still had modern sensibilities people would probably be up in arms about oh, totally, that idea, right? Totally. That's because people, like, I think people are socialized and they course, just, they yeah. have a completely different expectations. It's very hard to tell people that, you know, we will now just be part of a, uh, you know, a group that is recognized officially by the state. Yeah. You can have your own internal laws. You can have communal autonomy. You can have all this stuff. But you just can never be... Ruling. You can never be... You're never going to be... You're just never going to be there. So it's never yeah. going to happen for you. That route is cut yeah. off for you, right? Um You'd have a rebellion. Now, it's interesting, I mean, because I think, you know, the, the the irony of all this is a really good paper on this by uh, Sheikh Abdul Kim Rad on uh, Kalam Research and Media. It's called Quranic Truth and the Reality of Dhimma. I, I think mm -hmm. I, encur I encourage everyone to read it. It's a very, very well-written essay. And it talks about how, like, you know, people, like, you could say, like, poo-poo over, like, the concept of Dhimma and, like, millets and, like, all this, all these other concepts from history in the past. Um, and they say, you know, but now there's equality and people can be whatever they want. But what ends up happening in actuality is that there's actually a stifling conformism. Yeah. Everyone ends up becoming the same. Yeah. And, and despite that, we some we apparently have more freedom now. But people, when under these conditions, when under this type of freedom, yeah. people then choose effectively to become the same. Right? My, my wife was actually showing yeah. me a video, and maybe I'll play it. Um, yeah. I'll put it into this podcast yeah. afterwards, where a guy was... was critiquing i can't remember who it was he was critiquing this idea and mm. he's saying basically what you end up with is m more s m almost a hegemony mm. instead of recognize when you try to lump everyone together it's almost like when you try to make a, a different when you match mishmash different colors you get this mauvish gray <laughs> yeah. Game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's what everyone's becoming mm. whereas when you actually said no okay this is how it's going to be mm. but then you allow for little pockets mm right hmm. of things you end up with right. a palette right? yeah so this is interesting you bring this up because kukatas talks a little bit about this where he's trying to figure out a way to kind of keep the the vibrancy of the palette as yeah. you know to keep to use your metaphor and uh, he basically in his view he just believes uh, he believes in a very minimalist state which is kind of where my uh, these days i'm kind of leaning more towards that that yeah. idea i'm not too enamored with bloated like nanny states kind of thing but um he basically says that one of the few things the state should guarantee, aside from like property rights and stuff like that, should be um, freedom of entry and exit between communal affiliations. Mm -hmm. So let's say I no longer want to be a Muslim. You know, now with that, right? let's say I no longer want to be a Muslim and I want to just become I don't know something else. You yeah. know, I want to become uh, whatever, right? And I want to leave, right? 
he would say the state in our day and time, we should just say that the state uh, needs to facilitate safe entry and exit from communities. Yeah. Um, because traditionally, I mean, as we all know, the, 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 the Muftabihi opinion is that you're dead, right? <laughs> you know, we're going to get you, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea is that, uh, I mean, like, you know, if you leave, the idea is that it's kind of almost a treason to the state. Yeah. You can't be trusted anymore in society. No one can really trust you. No one really knows where your affiliations and loyalties lie. This is, I mean, I'm not an expert in this. You would be able to tell us more. Yeah. But, I mean, that was a, that, that, that is the mature opinion. And, and there's no kind of dancing around that, right? So, you know, I think these are very interesting political discussions that are happening within the, the academy within Western uh, yeah. uh, within Western Western and institutions, and I don't know many Muslim voices who are kind of there trying to engage yeah. uh, in that way. Um, and I think that there's a lot of um, nostalgia and romanticism that is is good when it's measured, and it just needs yeah. to be. Um, to, it needs, it, people can tell when you're just being when you're just looking at history through rose rose tinted glasses. Of course, right? and, you know? and I personally feel that. I don't bring up, I don't even come near the issue of sovereignty and statehood mm. when it comes to Islam. Mm. Because when you look at the seerah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the people wanted him. Mm. Right? If the people don't want it, it doesn't work. Mm. It only works if the Muslims themselves want it for themselves. Mm. So, which is when you have 75% of mm. a body mm. of people mm. wanting something. Right? Yeah, yeah. Then it will just happen by itself, right. which yeah. is my my main blame of the Ikhwan Muslimin in Egypt mm. is how uh, just they honestly, unfortunately, they really they ruined everything. Yeah, is that what they should have done is just let whoever runs it runs it, negotiate for yourself your ability to do your your activities freely, mm. right? And let's forget the actual politics behind it. Yeah. Let's say it's a regular Muslim group. Yeah. Don't take office. Don't mm. take power. Because mm -hmm. people don't want you. Yeah. You don't have enough support. Yeah. But take influence. Right. And the ability, the free freedom to teach. Mm. And the freedom to get into, uh, they didn't they didn't have any marketing in Hollywood. Mm. They didn't have any say in the movie making industry in Egypt. Yeah. Flip that. Yeah. And start paying money to get to You also got to sack all the generals. Well. You got to sack all the yeah, generals. I'm like Erdogan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you would, yeah. so... The idea of influence yeah. and that the people have to want this mm. and these naive groups, in my opinion, I, like, I, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean, there's complete a degree naive groups, yeah. and in that sense, I've sort of ceded my any ability to let to be involved in legislation at all because mm. I'm I believe in a certain system of things, and the people don't apparently don't want it. Mm. I'm only going to push for a legislation if it's through the route that I believe in. Mm. Or that it's something I believe in. Mm. I won't even, I, I'm totally even against the idea of, not against, but I don't understand how it's going to work. Mm. To seek rights through a system of, to seek my position through a system of thought mm. and law, mm. right? That if I was to follow it equally to everyone, wouldn't, would contradict my own, mm. my own beliefs. Mm. So in that case, I'll actually cede my rights, mm. right? Like there was this case in Italy a while back where a mm. girl was kicked out of the court for mm. wearing a hijab, mm. right? I, my take on it was, look, if that's the law, right, then on what grounds and basis are you going to fight for the law? Mm. You're going to fight for, oh, well, everyone should be treated equally. Mm. Well, that's not even what you believe, Yeah, yeah, yeah. right? That's not what you truly actually, your book says that people aren't, the, the law isn't equal for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's going to come back and blow back in your face, mm -hmm. you know. So that's where yeah. 
I stand in a position of sort of removing myself from the whole discourse because uh, the systems are so far apart. Mm. You know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I and this is this is one of these very like he's very fuzzy, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's a lot of states like France or Hungary or you know the very European kind of nation states where they're having a lot of Muslim migration coming yeah. in and things like that, and um, and there you know there's this concern uh, that you know they're going to irrevocably change the culture, and uh, you know we have to do something. We have to limit the immigration. We have to limit the flows. People like Merkel and uh, Chancellor Merkel, she disagreed, right? She she opened the gates, right? A lot of people hate her. You know, there's yeah. like a rise of like a German uh, nationalist party as we speak. that's happening. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I you know, part of me says like you know, uh, that's racist. Like they should just let them all in, right? That, you know, that's that's like, I think that's one of those like amateur kind of answers. Yeah. But actually, look like what is how how our societies organized there in modern Europe after yeah. you know hundreds of years of religious wars after all this stuff. Now Europe is very cute like patchwork of nations of people that have a specific historical and linguistic commonality. Yeah. And that is the basis upon which these states were created and yeah. forged through blood, right? And that is a deep, uh, that is the whole point. That is what, what is Germany, yeah. right? When, when no one speaks Germany, it's right? Memory. It's shared memory, it's shared yeah. history, right? And so if that is your country, and that's yeah. what it's defined upon, so that's a true nation state. That's what yeah. I mean by a nation state. Uh, that their 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 idea of nation state is extremely rigid in that regard. It's I actually think America as a country is not so much a nation state. I actually when I, I, some people I don't think they disagree, but I actually I actually prefer not to call America as a nation state as much as it is an idea state. Right? Uh, there's an idea that like there's point. like there there's not what's what is the American it's nation? So it's not a trap. Right? Yeah, there's no yeah. like. What's the American nation? Are you? Yeah. You could be. You could be African American. You could be Native yeah. American. You could be like a white settler. You could be, you know, like a Chinese immigrant. Whatever, yeah. right? It doesn't you're all of us are Americans, right? Yeah. But we're American by virtue of a tacit acceptance of certain ideas of basically the Constitution, right? Of, of a set of ideas in the Constitution, and that we all agree to uphold that. And on the basis of our shared um, acceptance of this document yeah. to rule over our lives. Our political lives, rather, yeah. um, we we become American, right? And it's not like it's not based on a nation concept as much. Yeah. And so, America has an easier time, or should, in theory, have an easier time uh, uh, accepting mass immigrant flows. And traditionally, it has. We're a nation of immigrants. Everyone knows that, right? Now you're seeing this. Now you're seeing like Trumpism, and like people are very against like Islam and Muslims or whatever. I think that's very interesting. I don't think that they're gonna, inshallah. I, I don't think they have as uh, much. Uh, traction here yeah. because I, th I see like the alt right or nationalist right or whatever they want to they see America as a nation state yeah. and these two things are in tension there's part of America sees America as a nation state and another part of America sees America as an idea state yeah. you know and so what side is going to win yeah. maybe you can call me too much of an optimist but I, I just don't think it makes sense just the, just the way civic education works in America People don't really, see, especially because whites are becoming more and more of a minority. Yeah. Um, it's just it's hard to maintain that distinction. I mean, the the nightmare scenario, and this is uh, this is something that um, uh, that that uh, some friends of mine, Shadi Hamid, a, a, a coworker of mine, actually, um, he he writes about how there's actually this very dangerous moment we're living in, where at the moment where 
the majority is in danger of becoming minority, right? When they're like at fifty one percent and they're about oh, to go, yeah. when they're at fifty percent, they're about to go to forty nine. That's yeah. the most dangerous moment. Yeah. That's when tensions are at their highest. And that's when they say, "Look, right now is when we're going to have." This is like the last moment we will yeah. be in a majority, right? Yeah. So we got to do something drastic yeah. to ensure that it stays yeah. that way, right? That's when you can say, okay, that's that's a scary situation, right? Yeah. Um, because, you know, by, if whites are just 10% or something, like, it's game over, right? Yeah. You know, like, there's not, <laughs> they can't do much anywhere. This is now over just yeah. all brown people. But um, but at that, in that, this very kind of, this is a very harrowing moment. Yeah, when you're that sliding regard. like that. Yeah, when and you're it's sliding. it's really yeah. looking inevitable. I mean, There's who no knows? Stuff. I mean, Allah yeah. Allah, I mean, we, we, but people yeah. also CNN and New York Times they yeah. really present the numbers as if they're near fifty fifty, mm. where it's seventy two percent white. People mm. for, forget that. Oh, right. I, I'm not. It's just the influence, uh -huh. like the influence. Right. The influential whites are tend to be more right. idea state oriented, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, the um, media is yeah. also keep pushing pushes up yeah. the device diversity more so than it actually is. And that's yeah. what Trump won. Yeah. He knew the numbers are seventy two percent white, you just get a big chunk of them. Mm -hmm. Right. If he got half of them, right, then he's already at thirty four percent. Yeah. Thirty five percent. But it's it's a great idea that what you just said is that because Islam is also an idea, mm -hmm. would be an idea state. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's have a much more uh, yeah, I mean the idea is that like, look, you know, like you're Egyptian, I'm from a Pakistani American yeah. background. Um, you and I like linguistically different languages, different histories, different climates, different food. There's almost like nothing really binding us in common except for the fact we we have this belief in a shared religious religious idea, yeah. and we <clears throat> share we share the kalima basically, right? Yeah. And as a result, there's there's a kind of bond that's yeah. created between us. In the same way that two Americans can meet each other abroad, right? And you can be like, well. This kind of like, oh, hey, you're an American, I'm an American, like, yeah. we know what's going on. In a sense, it's almost as if, like, to be, you know, Americanism, if you want to just put an ism at the end of it, yeah. um, is almost like a, a religion, right? It's almost like some kind of, like, a di and this is what Dr. Jackson talked about in the recent article of his, um, uh, who am I and what does it mean to be, uh, what do I want, who, uh, what does it mean, basically, the article was like, um, who am I and what do I want politically as an American Muslim? That's basically, I think, the name yeah. of the article. It's on Alam's website. It's a very interesting um, analogy. I'm not sure if you think about this, but he talks about how the um, the American Constitution, he analogizes it, and forgive me, may he forgive me if I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but um, he analogizes the Constitution to um, uh, the, the Ashur al-Haram, right? Okay. The, the idea that basically... The, Ceasefire. Uh, no, he says, like... The, the Quran recognized the institution of the forbidden months, right? Okay. As just the way that Meccans, uh, that, 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 uh, that the Mushrik society was governed, yeah. basically, right? There's this extra, this super-political institution, or this, this super-political, like, guiding, not even super-political, this political guiding principle that certain times of the year are just, you don't fight in them, yeah. right? It's just, that's just the way it works here. Um, and that's baked into how we run this society, right? Um, and the Quran recognized that and accepted it, and the Muslims accepted that and recognized it, even though it came from this mushrik system, right? Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, he'll, he basically said, there's nothing, so basically you look at that and you say, well, you know, the Prophet or you know, the Quran didn't have much of a problem integrating that into yeah. their, their way of life. Um, so he says that the Constitution is like that too, right? There's nothing in it that is like, directly trying to destroy this religion yeah. or something it's like an that. agreement that a Muslim it's an agreement that yeah. that is something that we can accept yeah. that isn't 
that on its face doesn't seem to be detrimental, and uh, we we just accept it as a reality. That's as a, a, that's a, a deal, deal right? It's just a deal, yeah. like just like the Muslims saw the forbidden months as a deal yeah. that they they also agreed to. Because you know, Allah could have sent down a verse that said that the forbidden months are nonsense, yeah. and just like slay the unbelievers, yeah. like <laughs> wherever you find, you know, that's the kind of thing, right? And but he didn't, right? This this this, this we, that was an institution that we accepted, right? Yeah. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I mean, I. Uh, so, I mean, the, the uncomfortable implication of a lot of this is that, uh, at least in Europe, when you have a lot of these people who are just kind of getting really upset, whether it's Brexit or France or whatever, I, you know, this is being a kind of, I, I, I see that and if I think to myself, if I was a Frenchman, if I was a German or whatever, like, I understand yeah. why they're mad. Because you know? they're, they're a tribe. Yeah. They, the, yeah. yeah. The German and the French yeah. and the British, they're a tribe. Yeah. Right? yeah. And just a few more. Yeah enormous tribe than they ever used to be yeah whereas the american like you said it's an idea and it's not a tribe yeah right yeah. and i totally understand when yeah. italians when you have an old italian man and he's so upset because his road used to be mm-hmm. all a bunch of other italians and now he's got algerians and libyans down the yeah. road and he doesn't know how to talk to them and yeah. he doesn't want his grandkids playing with them yeah. right because he's set in his ways and people get set in their ways, yeah. right? And and I understand, like, it's nice to be part of a tribe. Like, yeah. I, I like to think that Americans are a tribe, but just based on, a, on an idea. Like I said, it's not based on linguistics yeah, or anything yeah, like yeah. that. I think Muslims, too, are almost like the ultimate tribe, yeah. right? I mean, in fact, our tribe, the Ummah, is is just uh, I could, is just so incredible and amazing. Because Ummah is not is actually different, I would say, than the, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... Um, from like the concept of like the Midla. like the yeah. Midla is like the temporal yeah. Muslim nation throughout the world right now, yeah. right? So uh, whereas the Ummah is actually larger, right? Like where it's, it's actually history. It's, it's history. Like yeah. Imam Ghazali is my brother, yeah. right? You know you he's go back to Prophet Adam. You know, you can go back. You know there's yeah. there's a, a metaphysical. It stretches across not just space, which is the Midla encompasses space. Yeah. Where rather the ummah encompasses time and space, right? Big history. It's, it's history. It's time. It encompasses time and space, and it's and, and even uh, uh, realms, right? Yeah. I mean, like we will be inshallah, people who believe in the kalima will be people, who, you know, in the next life where yeah. that that will also unite us there. Yeah. That those bonds are, in a sense, the most the most complete bonds. They they don't they you know yeah. when the heat death of the universe comes <laughs> or when the yom kiyama comes, right? Yeah. All of this stuff that will last, right? In that sense, I mean, it's, it's a very, like, Adim kind of... Uh, and uh, and uh, you have yeah. other things on your side. You yeah. have Muslim jinns. You have yeah. angels yeah, yeah. on your side. And yeah. even the fish in the sea and yeah. the trees yeah. seek uh, forgiveness right. for the students of knowledge. Right? Absolutely, so, yeah. I mean, that when you think of it that it's way... It's a huge it's, idea. It's, it's, it's a very huge, I would yeah. dare say, even revolutionary idea. Yeah. <clears throat> but... I remember Sheikh yeah. Hamza, the couple way, way back in George Bush's time... <clears throat> He says, uh, if America thinks that they're going to wage a war on Islam, right? <laughs> that's a fun. It was an ikna talk. That oh, he gave, right. Yeah. right. He said, I've, there's no more naive idea <laughs> than to wage yeah. war on this set of ideas, yeah. right? That is so deep and so thick and so far and wide, mm. right? It's just not, not going to work out pretty yeah. well. Yeah. But the it, it, that is a really fascinating way to look at things. And it totally, I think, changes the way people think about things when they look at uh, idea affiliations versus location affiliations yeah. and this this graying out of everyone conforming to me is reflects a failure mm. of those uh, of of certain systems of preserving the palette mm-hmm. of difference amongst right. people mm-hmm. right where uh in even in europe 
I see that the European Muslims they look very differently at American Muslims because mm. Europe, Europe, in European Muslims they're sort of encouraged through multiculturalism mm. to all the Moroccans live there, mm. all the Jamaicans live there, mm. all the mm. East Africans live there. Up to the fifties and sixties, that's how it was. Mm. If you were from a, a little group, we we want you to be part of your group. We actually don't, which is a polite way of saying we don't want you to be part of our group, right? Mm -hmm. So stay part of your group. And therefore, you go into certain parts where you have the districts mm. of the and ghettos, you, and you, they're, yeah. they're actually ghettos, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you would actually feel that you're in another country, yeah, yeah like yeah. you can go, and that's that exists in Europe. Mm. Now, their ghettos doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be unclean and uneducated. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the European original European idea was to preserve our tribe, yeah, but get tax money from these people because yeah, yeah. we need to pay for social security right. and we'd have enough kids so we need to import these workers but we really don't want them to be part of mm. us mm. right mm. let them be them over there right and we'll interact at work and you go back home and yeah. i'll go back home yeah right to believe it or not as crazy as it sounds like there is a degree of comfort in that where at least i'm not feeling like at every moment i'm different right mm. at least i can go back to a group mm. where mm. This is what I believe in, right? Yeah. And they're yeah. basically telling you, they're basically telling you, you, we want you to be you. Go yeah. be you. Yeah, yeah. But this fruit is gonna never gonna be in your hands, right. which is power. Right. right? You're never gonna rule. Right. And that's and to, to keep the palette of difference, yeah. I think that it has to be yeah. that these the smaller groups will have to ultimately give up mm. the idea of I don't know. I'm yeah. just thinking out loud here, right? I mean, I, I mean, I always give people this like interesting thought experiment that let's say tomorrow the president like passed a law or Congress passed some kind of law and they said Muslims are barred from serving the president's cabinet or being members of Congress or all of this stuff, like specifically Muslims, right? In exchange, however, um, you all can like have like Sharia courts and like rule yourself yeah. as you wish or something like that. Would you take that too? You know, this is a very complicated question. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, to myself, it, there are days where I wake up and say, I would take that deal, you know, I mean, but I don't, you know, then there are other days where I think, oh, that would be kind of lame or I don't, I don't know. I mean, it really, I, I honestly, I actually think that the average guy isn't interested and uh, isn't that interested in, they don't have, they don't have grand political machinations, right? They just want to live their life and like, as they wish to live it. That's what I, that's what I believe yeah. most people are like, you know? And uh, I believe it was John Adams, and I might be wrong, who said that, you know, I study politics and war so my kids can study, like, yeah, art, art and, art, art, and art and, like, a history or yeah. something like that. Um, you know, I, 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 I just think that most people just want to live as they... They want to be left alone to yeah. live as they want to live. And they don't necessarily want to... They don't. They don't want to like become the next yeah. great leader or something. It's just not. It's not in it. I it's not the way most people live. And um, also, it's a very interesting notion. This idea that like the only way that I can be politically successful is if I go to the capital city and I start like yeah. taking over and you know that whole thing. There's a very interesting idea in Catholic social thought. And I apologize for kind of just ranting. No, but no, kind of, there's a very good idea that I've uh, that uh, that I've um, been reading a lot about recently from Catholic social thought called subsidiarity. And it's an interesting idea where basically they see um, society as like a set of concentric circles. Right? So there's the individual and the idea, and it goes all the way up to, you could say, the state or the world. Right? Yeah. So every outer ring of the concentric circle, its gambit of area of responsibility, gambit of responsibility is the circle 
um, just under it. So, uh -huh. for instance, um, the individual should be taken care of by the family. If you have an issue, like in your the personal issue, your family should try and help you out with that issue before anyone else, right? You, um, and if your family has an issue, you should go to your masjid or your church or something like that, some kind of civic association, right? If your church or whatever masjid has like an issue, they should go to like maybe like a, uh, a federation or something yeah. like that, right? And if they have an issue, they should go to like a special interest group. Or they should go to their congressman or whatever the case might be. Yeah. You, you bring it all the way up the ladder. And the people we're really dealing with at the national government level are like very large umbrella groups that are kind of filtering this all the yeah. way up the chain. And it's not like I have an issue like, you know, my streets like aren't paved and so I'm pissed off and I'm going to go like rally at Washington yeah, or yeah. something. It doesn't do anything. It yeah. just doesn't do anything. In my opinion, yeah. it doesn't do anything. You know, it might get your anger out or something, but this is not how you solve problems that you're actually dealing with every single day. Yeah. There's a really good paper too by Kareem Laham, uh, who's a, a brother out in the UK. Um, and he wrote this paper called The Vocational Society. Mm -hmm. where, and it's actually a dialogue between Catholics and Muslims. And he gave a, he gave a speech, based off a speech he gave um, at some Catholic uh, event or something. And he actually mm -hmm. talks about how like traditional Muslim societies were highly, had high degrees of civic association and that they were very, they were imbued with this idea of subsidiarity, right? That they, like, for instance, I think he, he cites like uh, census figures in the uh, Ottoman registry of like 1849 or something and talking about how like the, when you look at those figures, there was maybe like, a hundred or two hundred or more, just within the city of Istanbul alone, uh, business associations mm -hmm. uh, and like they they were called esnaf in Ottoman Turkish from sinf esnaf, right? Yeah. This category basically is how we say it in Arabic. Um, but these business associations were fascinating because they weren't just like chambers of commerce, right? They were like um, uh, almost like uh, you could say like. Uh, religio business uh, uh, mafiosos almost <laughs> right so like let's say there was like a uh, like a blacksmith guild or yeah. something you're part of this guild that's the, another translation of it's not guilds right um you would yeah, be part of that right guilds, yeah, yeah the guild system right so like you'd be part of a guild the guild would maybe be attached to a sheikh or tariqa or something yeah. you would you would engage in your business but your business would be tempered by um, by, 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 by moral teachings, yeah. spiritual, religious, yeah. moral teachings, right? Yeah. So it wouldn't be just cutthroat, like, you know, do whatever you want. But you would also have to ingratiate yourself within the guild, right? Yeah. So I was listening to a talk by, um, by, by, by a teacher on this, and he said, you know, you know, unlike today, you couldn't just open up, like, a Burger King in front of, like, the haram. Like, this yeah. is what happened. You have, there's, so, there's someone who's, whose job it is to police that area and make sure it stays State, Correct. So it yeah. creates stability. Yeah, and like it doesn't and doesn't, respect to the existing exactly, well. and keeps yeah. things right, you know, as they yeah. should be. And uh, it will be several years before a newcomer can come and just yeah. open up a shop. Exactly. He has to ingratiate himself. Exactly, in that you community. gotta respect that system, that, right? That and some people, you know, they object to that system because they say, like, hey, you know, like the world business is much is much faster today. You can't grow that fast. You, you, I mean, you, you, you're going to slow down growth. Yeah. This is actually part of, I probably, I haven't read the book, but it sounds like Timur Karan's thesis, or Timur Karan, he wrote this book called The Long Divergence, mm -hmm. um, basically arguing that um, basically the Sharia held back the economic development of, uh, of Muslim societies. Oh. That's basically what he argues because it didn't allow for the corporation. It didn't allow for like, you know, riba stopped things from uh, from accelerating as fast as they should have. This is why the Muslim world kind of wasn't ready 
I wasn't wasn't uh, I wasn't powerful enough by the yeah. time you said the colonizers came and they just got robbed. Well, he's forgetting that uh, yeah. the story's not over yet. Yeah, I mean that, that's his that's modern his modern world and modern finance. Yeah, right. No, oh, yeah, it's it's yeah, they could be looking good now. Yeah, we'll see what's gonna. We'll how, see. I mean, it's an interesting it. idea, uh, nonetheless, and it's something that if people are interested, in, they should read the book, and if they disagree, they should refute it um, yeah. and and do some real work. You know, I I. Obviously, I'm a, I'm, I'd like to think I'm somewhat of a committed Muslim, right? But uh, when people do real academic work, and I can hate it with every fiber of my being yeah. and disagree, I still got to give it to them for writing that book and making that argument. If I don't like it, then I should go and like. Well, write my certain own book, things you know? the Sharia does hold back yeah. because where that the 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 plate the context of that yeah. thing in a larger picture. Mm-hmm. So I could also say, look, look, Sharia is holding back your sexual pleasure. Mm, right, mm, mm. it wasn't for Sharia. You could have yeah. went and, and been sleeping around with 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 yeah, yeah, women. Yeah, but where is sexual pleasure in mm. your life? Right, mm, mm. where is it in someone's life? Right, and what it where is it? What is its role? Right, for all intents and purposes, its role is it's a it's a it's a gift, and it's also something that you want to sort of just it's you have to have a little bit of it mm. to survive. Mm. But it's without maybe number twenty on your priority of. Right, a Muslim's life. Right? right. I mean, for I me, mean, there's so, so many arguments. I mean, for instance, like one could say that maybe Muslim societies didn't couldn't compete because they weren't growing fast enough, or whatever his thesis is. But um, maybe they had greater levels of social cohesion. Maybe people were happier. Maybe maybe the progress that you know, quotation marks progress that we've been given just isn't making people happy. Yeah. You know? I mean that's that's a big implication. Maybe growing too fast is not an unmitigated is maybe growing quickly is not an unmitigated good. Yeah. Maybe there's a way to grow that is sustainable. Right. And so yeah. you see like Dr. Omar Farukadala, I know these days is very into looking at the ideas of permaculture. Right. The idea of like sustainable growth, sustainable communities, you know, growing your own food. You know, yeah. just like being self reliant. Not he talks about um, you know, some of his Mashaikh told him that I think back in the day in, uh, in uh, maybe it was Hadramot or Tarim or one of these cities that they prided themselves on only importing, I think, two things. It was needles and, like, I think, scissors. Really? Or something. Or something. Everything else they had in the city. Wow. It was just internally produced. They were a very self-reliant society. They didn't rep- depend on people for water. They didn't depend on people for these other sorts of things. And so, I mean, you know, there's implications to all this stuff. Someone could hear that story and be like, oh, well... You know they're not taking advantage of like a globalized economy. They have a comparative advantage. They should be trading. International trade is good. Blah blah blah. I mean, there's there's all these like interesting stories. I see as as Muslims, we look back at our history and we see these like interesting snippets. Yeah, that just sounds so cool, right? Yeah. We, we, and but we, but the trap is to appreciate and love the. But not not the trap, but the the the, the trick. I think is to yeah. look back, appreciate those. Those seemingly like nice snapshots, I think, of Muslim history, Muslim lived experience, yeah. Muslim religious experience, yeah. or I should say, socio-religious experience, um, and think, you know, uh, how can we appreciate those and bring a sense of that back in our lives today um, in a way that's sustainable, given the structures that exist? Right? Yeah, because you can't uninvent the yeah. internet, for example, course, right? Yeah. You can't uninvent like. Yeah you know, text messaging or whatever. Like some people, yeah. you know, you know, you know there's, there's, so, there's so many yeah. things that changed. I mean, yeah. the world is completely different. I mean, there was such a debate, you probably know this, about, um, I got an interesting debate once with a friend over 
the, the invention of the printing press. This is a really dorky thing to get in a, in a debate over, but yeah. you know, he was like, Muslims like decreed the printing press at first. Some some of the ulama declared it haram because yeah. you know then they would start Smashing printing. The no, well yeah. they said that they would start printing the Quran in it, and then they would start printing Qurans that um, were um, uh, that that weren't correct. Okay. They, this is how they would introduce akhtar yani, in yeah. the in the mistakes in in the Quran, and this is how they would corrupt it and blah 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 and that it would it, many people look back on that and say wow the ulama were like short-sighted you know yeah. and like as a result book publishing like muslims got a very late yeah had a very high literacy rate yeah. and it kind of held us back that's so that's one argument the other argument is that yeah like that is true you know that 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 happened you know muslims were kind of held back in that regard but it's also, I think, very true. It's just something to acknowledge that with the introduction of the printing press, um, people, the teachers themselves, became less important. Because now you got the book, what do you need the person for? What yeah. do you need the teacher for? Right? You yeah. have the sudur, forget the sudur, right? Yeah. You know, like that yeah. idea, right? Um, and so um, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, right? Yeah. I'm just saying it is. And let's just acknowledge that it is, right? Yeah. That um, uh, that something was a lot. Every time you make progress, there's something you're losing. That's right? true too. That's all I'm saying. That's so true. It's, it, yeah. there's, you're you're going to have a balance, right. and something's going to give. Yeah, and and that's not an argument I'm making. It's not like some kind of like funny like theory that Rashidar is making up. These are things that that makes sense. Um, yeah. That I think that other writers, Yunal Levin, writes about this in his book, The Fractured Republic. Um, who's another one of these like uh, Catholic social thinkers? If I, if I maybe he's not Catholic. His last name is Levin, so it might be Jewish. I don't know, but he's one of these people, these reformed conservative types, who are writing about these things. And he also takes issue with this idea that everything that we call progress, we shouldn't view it as an unmitigated yes, good. We should exactly. always, we should always. That's not to say that it, there wasn't chayr in it. Yeah. Rather, we should say that the things changed. Um, for the good, and also we lost. Something. There was a trade off. There was a trade off we made, and yeah. we just made that trade off. Yeah. Now, forget the printing press. Today, we have the internet, right? Yeah. And I don't know, you know, where where we're gonna go with that. How, you know, that, you know, if before we said the the people became, you know, less, uh, if, that the ulama became less important after the printing press with the introduction of the internet. Yes. I mean, I actually think that people don't even the average, not the average, but. There are many Muslims today, especially in the West, who I, I honestly feel that when, if you were to ask them very pointedly, said, do you think that there's a, there's a need for even a class of people called the ulama? Yeah. They would say, I don't really know what the point is. Yeah. Right? The, I, who are these people? They're essentially parasites that um, are just lording over our religion, and uh, we don't need them anymore, and it's all online. Yeah. It, what it justify your existence? Yeah. They would, they, well, you know, the internet yeah. also undermines just human interaction. Period. Well, I mean, I think that's something people are learning. Now. Yeah. There's um, Sherry Turkle, I believe. Have you heard of her? She no. <clears throat> she wrote the book on uh, what TV did to society, and now she's doing. Um, oh, what she did one about what the internet's doing to society, and uh, she basically talks about how the internet is kind of like. Um, you know, when, when modern food production first started, yeah. um, people were eating white bread all the time. They're like, it's great. Yeah. It tastes amazing. This is the best food for you. And then they realized that, that, you know, all these modern food processing techniques were kind of like the wrong idea, right? Yeah. You know, you know we, yeah. that's not the right thing to do. It's basically junk food, yeah. right? So she's like, you know, we're going to get there one day. Right now, though, the way we look at the internet, like, it's, awesome. it's just it's just like, it sounds like everything we're doing is like mental junk food. Yeah. We're just eating tons of mental junk food. Eventually, society, she hopes, will course correct. And we're going to start teaching That's people to um, to consume information 
like we consume yeah. healthy food. And, healthy and it's diet. like uh, preservatives in little uh, sliced uh, meats, like uh, cold cuts. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. never even thought, when, when I was growing up, yeah. the idea of cold cuts being bad for you for yeah, any yeah. reason was <laughs> yeah. never unheard of. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it's really a good point. Yeah, I mean, I don't know I mean, where we're going all with all this, but suffice it to say that, you know, there's there's a lot to think about, I think, when it comes to this this the socio-religious organization of, uh, of, of, of how Islam lived in society, right? Yeah. And how, um, you know, you, you said that you've just kind of taken a, a step back, right? You don't want to politically necessarily involve yourself because, you know, because of the reasons you stated, yeah. right? So that brings us to this idea of um, how can we institute almost like microstructures yeah. within our own local communities, hyper-local structures yeah. that create the kind of life or approximate the kind of life that we would ideally want to live um if we you know if we're gonna if we're gonna leave aside the you know you know uh, running for office yeah. or something like that and that's know? and that's uh it's gonna take dozens upon mm. hundreds of people and communities and groups mm. throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what works mm. and the the weird thing about the modern time is that or, or the period that we live in now is that by the time you figure out what works, mm. the whole wall's going to be different. Right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole that, that's the problem with technology is that by the time you adjust to it and you find that happy medium, you know uh, everything is going to be totally different. So yeah, I mean, totally. I mean, there's there's a lot um, to think about. Uh, I didn't get to ask you this question, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. But I mean, there's, I mean, there's there's even questions I've I've thought about like. You know, like the, I, I wanted to write a paper on this. Maybe you can help me with it. But about um, like the ideas of uh, the fatwa was on the ideas of giving like an oath of allegiance to a country. Yeah. You know, like what is that oath of allegiance really mean? Like yeah. when you give it, is it majazi that this like oath of allegiance? Right? Is it or do you do you just like? Is it uh, like what? Uh, what are you agreeing to, right? Yeah. Like, and how? How is it being justified? I don't yeah. know. I don't. Uh, I'm just wondering, right? Because I think it sounds like a very like abstract, like philosophical question, but no, I actually think question. it's like a very a like. Um, because if we're gonna be decent, good at citizenry, you can't keep doing that. <laughs> uh, if yeah. we're gonna be Muslims, are gonna be adjusted. Yeah. Then we actually have to know exactly what we're uh, involved in. And yeah. where's our line? Like I'm, I, I actually feel um, totally adjusted when I face the realities of what things are. Mm -hmm. Like I know that I'm gonna stop. I have certain stop points here and certain stop points here, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna fully go here, and I feel very comfortable with that. And yeah. I like to voice it too mm -hmm. because I like everyone else to know where I stand yeah. on things. So that uh, removes all the awkwardness of the unknowns, and yeah. uh, I think investigating that will be a great yeah i think these service. are these are very interesting debates and
Oh, 